You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week we're hearing from lead pastor Gare Jones. So we are starting a new sermon series this morning, so welcome if you're new to Vintage. And for those who, who have been around for a while, you'll know that um, people often say, hey, Gare, how do you decide what to speak on? And we have kind of an 80-20 rule here, which is 80% of the year, I try and speak on like books of the Bible. I love the library of Scripture. And we love to go deep in one of them. And then 20% of the time, we look at a particular topic where it's, oh, we should look at that What does the Bible say about that topic? So recently, we've been looking at the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? And I'm not very good at that type of preaching. I try my best. I'm much better at books of the Bible. And so I've been really excited to get back to let's just dive in to the Bible. Let's pick a book and let's walk through it together. And so we're about to go through the summer series on the Gospel of John, which I'm very excited about, looking at Jesus, looking at people's interaction with Jesus. In John chapter 1... John writes this in verse 18, in John chapter 1. He says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, and he has made him known. It's this wonderful verse in the beginning of John's Gospel that says, look, we all have a spiritual kind of antennae that's up. And when we go surfing or when we listen to great music or when we eat great food, kind of our spiritual kind of like radar goes off. There's an echo of beauty and justice and mercy and love beyond these physical things. That's why we have this spirituality in our city. There's something there. And the great news, the great amazing claim of Christianity is that that something is actually someone. And you're actually hearing faint echoes and whispers of someone through great food, through great music, through creation. And in the Gospel of John, we say, look, God, the the one behind, the creator behind all these wonderful spiritual things, has made himself known in the person of Jesus. It's what a friend of mine said when he became a follower of Jesus. He said, it's so wonderful because I finally found someone that I, I always sensed the spiritual world, but I finally found who I can thank. Oh, it's it's you. It's Jesus. So Jesus has revealed God to us. God has come that we wouldn't be guessing anymore of some just ethereal spirituality, that, that this is an echo of someone, and his name is Jesus. And so we're going to look at who Jesus is and how does Jesus reveal God, because in Jesus we see God. So how do we see Jesus? And Jesus hasn't written down an autobiography, but given us biographies, four different biographies that help us see Jesus. Four different eyewitnesses going, this is what I saw, this is what I saw. And of course they overlap because they all saw the same thing. But it's this wonderful portrait because you really get to know someone through how they interact with others. You really get to know someone when you hear stories of, hey, can I tell you about my experience with him? Have you ever been at a wedding, like a rehearsal dinner, and people get up and I got a story. It's actually much more insightful than just an autobiography. But when you hear stories from different people, oh, oh, let me tell you, let me tell you my story. And that's what we have with the Gospels. We have the Gospel writers going, let me tell you the stories of Jesus interacting with people. And the first story we're going to look at today, to understand Jesus, to understand God, we're going to see how Jesus relates to skeptics. 
Jesus and the skeptic. Those who I am not too sure if I buy who you say you are. I'm pretty skeptical. Let's look at this story together. Beginning in John's Gospel, we're going to read a story, the first interaction that Jesus has in the Gospel of John, and it's with a skeptic. His name is Nathaniel. Let's read from verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found, we found him. We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathanael asked. Well, come and see for yourself, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, He truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. And you are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I've told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, for truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus and the skeptic. See, Nathan, Nathaniel, was a skeptic. He was a very thoughtful person. He was a thinker. We know this because he's mixing it up with disciples of the time. Disciples were basically college students. You didn't have colleges in those days. If you wanted to pursue the, the truths of life, then you would attach yourself to a, a teacher, a rabbi, who would teach you about things. And so here is Nathaniel. He's part of this intellectual crew, but he's also a skeptic. When Philip says, we found him. You never guess what, Nathan, we found him. He's actually Jesus from Nazareth. You know, he's from Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth and he's the son of Joseph. Nathaniel, as a skeptic and an intellectual, goes, nah, you got it wrong, bro. No way could the one that we're hoping for come from Nazareth. You know, Nazareth was not the cool place. Nazareth was not the prestigious place. It was a little village, a little town, about 55 miles north of Jerusalem. It was a forgotten place, pretty obscure. Like nothing really important ever happened there. Nothing cool happened there. No cool people came from Nazareth. It wouldn't be the place where you go, that's a rich pedigree. That's a, a good family line. Ooh, ooh, you're from that. No, nothing like that. It was kind of, maybe you're from there. I'm from that kind of town where you're kind of embarrassed to say where you're from. Like, it's like, mm, where are you from? Mm, somewhere in the north of England, but I'm not going to say where, because it's kind of, it's an embarrassment. And so is Nazareth. It's like that. So you wouldn't, like, Nazareth. No way, man. I'm skeptical. 
Maybe you're like Nazareth here today. Maybe you're naturally skeptical about the claims of Christianity. It's like, oh man, Jesus? Come on. No way, man. Not because of that or that or... No way. I mean, really? Have you seen the church? Have you seen politics? Have you seen Christians in the news? No way. There's skepticism. I am. I empathize with Nathaniel because I am kind of a natural skeptic. You know, I am one of those people who gets in trouble for like, asking all the tough questions. I remember growing up, I went to a school, well, a very formal school, and uh, all the teachers wore gowns, and you're only referred to by your last name, right? Think of like Harry Potter type thing, right? And I remember, I remember the most common phrase that the teacher, it was a boys only school, and the master at the front, the most common phrase I heard in class was, Put your hand down, Jones, because I was constantly going, but sir, but sir, what about? You know, as he's writing something on the, on the chalkboard, it'll be like, uh, hang on. And do you know when like, you're one of those people who constantly ask questions, you eventually learn like, you've got to prop your arm up because, you know, your hand is up so long. Eventually, he doesn't even look. He just goes, put your hand down, Jones. I'm a natural skeptic. I want to know why. And it wasn't very honored at times, and particularly it wasn't actually valued in church growing up. I grew up in church, and I was a natural skeptic, a natural questioner about things. And it sometimes got me in trouble. Sometimes I made people, particularly pastors, exasperated with me. I remember once in youth group, I, I almost got kicked out of church. Because I asked too many questions, or at least the wrong questions. Remember there's one infamous evening in youth group where you get to that really, you know, that, that topic in youth group where the youth leader has to talk about sex. You know, it's always done in hushed terms, particularly the youth group I, was, I grew up in. And, and talking about sex and how it's reserved for marriage because it's God's covenant celebration ceremony. It's the act of two people coming together in, in a covenant love and he gives you a, a physical kind of covenant renewal celebration act, all that kind of stuff. And so therefore outside of marriage, it's beautiful, but it can be dangerous outside of marriage, all that kind of stuff. And you're all listening to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we have a, a deeper question, which is only the real question we all care about, which is, but how far can I go? right? That's on every teenager's mind, but how far can I go? So that's my question. Okay, that's fine. We'll wait till marriage, but how far can I go? It's like, and then, so they start to talk about, well, that's not the right question because it's all about, you're not about going up to the line. It's about honoring. Okay, that's fine. Uh, but how far can I go? And, and then eventually the pastor got so exasperated with, but, but break it down for me. How far, literally, how far can I go? And he got so exasperated that he said to the whole youth group, he said, look, yeah, look, just don't touch anything you haven't got. So I go, hmm. So, does that mean I can touch nipples? Seriously. At which point you went, just get out. Just get out. My father's the pastor and I got kicked out of his church. Just get out. You know, there's a skepticism. There's an inquisitiveness that could get you into trouble. And it, Nathan, I'm sure, got into trouble like this. And maybe you're there. And it's like, I, don't, I got a natural inquisitiveness. I'm not just going to buy anything. I'm not going to take a blind leap of faith. I want to know. 
I'm going to ask the questions that no one else asks. I'm going to actually investigate. But something causes Philip, sorry, Nathaniel to go, all right, I know it seems ridiculous. I know nothing can come from Nazareth that is any good, but all right, I'll go check it out, right? Something in him is at least triggered to go, I'll check it out. He's rolling his eyes, but I'll check it out. And we don't know what it is. It could be desperation. It could be, man, I've tried everything else and we're still under Roman oppression. What have I got to lose? And maybe that's your approach to Jesus and that's okay. I've tried everything else and I'm still empty. That's okay. Maybe it's, you know what? I trust Phil. Phil's a bright guy. He's not stupid. So although I think he's ridiculous, you know what? He's Phil. And I'll go check it out. But something makes him curious. It could be that he goes, oh my word, if anyone claims this, I should verify it. Because if it turns out to be true, then it's a game changer. And that is the case with Christianity. As C.S. Lewis put it, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. But if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it can't be is moderately important. These are the claims of Jesus. And so Nathan goes, all right, Phil, let's go check him out. And so begins Jesus' encounter with a skeptic. The first thing we see is Jesus makes the first move. In verse 47, Jesus sees Nathanael approaching, not even wait for him to get there, but sees him approaching and goes, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What a strange greeting. That's weird, right? Until, of course, you realize that actually everyone knew at that time what Jesus was doing. Because Jesus, by using that specific language, is comparing and contrasting Nathaniel to one of the famous Old Testament characters. See, in the Old Testament, there was a man called Jacob who had his name changed to Israel. He was truly the first Israelite, but he was a cunning, deceitful man. His granddad was Abraham, his dad was Isaac, his elder brother Esau, and he would manipulate and be deceitful to them all. So as even coming out of the womb, he had his hand on Esau's heel, his brother, kind of signifying, I want to get you, big brother. He even deceived his brother out of the firstborn rights. This guy was full of deceit. He's not a hero of the Old Testament for who he is. He's full of deceit. And so it's kind of like this ironic thing in the Old Testament of he's the first Israelite, but man, he's a deceitful guy. Nothing like God in that regard. Yeah, he's skeptical, this Jacob guy, but that skepticism is rooted in deception, in cynicism, in manipulation. So here's Jesus seeing Nathaniel going, hey, mate, you are the true Israelite in whom there's no deceit. You're kind of a better version of Jacob. I value your skepticism because you're coming with sincerity. I value 
how you're coming with an honest inquisitiveness. I don't see deceit in you. I don't see cynicism in you. In other words, Jesus doesn't roll his eyes at the man who rolled his eyes at him. Jesus knows his skepticism. Jesus, we'll see in a minute, knows everything about him. But when Jacob, when Nathan comes to him, he finds that Jesus welcomes skeptics. In fact, calls it out in him as something of honor. I value that you're, you're coming with your questions, but you're not coming to trick. You're not coming to manipulate. You're not coming to trap, but you're coming with honest sincerity. You want to know if I'm true, and I value you. See, Nathaniel's shocked by this. See, Nathaniel hears this and is shocked and immediately says, how do you know me? Now, that word know there is an experiential knowledge. The Greek word is gnosto, which means not how do you know of me, it's how do you know me? Like, you like really know me. You know, you've like, you've nailed me right there. That's one of the things about me that I am a skeptic, but it's not out of bad motives. I just really value the truth. How do you know me? And Nathan discovers that he's not just interacting with a man who welcomes skeptics. He's beginning to understand he's interacting with his creator, the one who truly knows him, the one who sees beyond what other people see, the one who kind of doesn't look at our weaknesses, our failings, our struggles, but kind of looks at us and from afar goes, ah, yeah, here's the one I made with amazing curiosity. Nathan goes, oh my word, you know me. I find it remarkable that from a distance, Jesus, when he sees Nathaniel coming, when he sees the one he created coming to him, Jesus in whom all things were created, the one who created Nathan sees him from afar and goes, yes, I know you. You're the one I created with this amazing inquisitiveness. There's no deceit in you. So I don't know about you, but we can walk around with all sorts of names attached to us that other people give us, or maybe we give ourselves, tainted by the regrets and failures of others or ourselves. And these become our identity. These become the things that define us. And yet when we come to Jesus, we can also come, well, maybe he sees us this way. Maybe he treats us this way. Maybe when he sees me coming, he rolls his eyes and goes, oh, disappointment again. When we see him, not only does Jesus see Nathan and welcome the skeptic, but calls out the beauty in who Nathan was created to be. Jesus celebrates his creation. He celebrates Nathan coming to him. And whenever you come into his presence, guess what? He doesn't see your weaknesses, your failings. He doesn't see the names other people have given you. He looks at you and goes, oh my word, she's coming. I can't, hey, welcome. And he calls out the beauty of who he made you to be. This is the greeting you get when you come into Jesus' presence. 
It's why, of course, we see this amazing quality of Jesus when he looks at people as the creator. He looks at his masterpiece of each and every one. And sometimes he looks at someone and goes, I don't know why they called you that, because that's not you. I'm going to rename you. Peter, earlier in this chapter, we didn't read it, but he'd been called something else. And Jesus looked at him. Look, Peter, I created you, so I'm going to call you. Your name does nothing for you. In fact, it goes in the wrong direction. I want you to know who you are, who I created you to be. I'm going to rename you the rock, Peter, upon which I'm going to build my church. See, Nathan comes into the presence of Jesus, not only finds that a God who welcomes skeptics, you welcome my questions, oh my word, but you know me. You know me with a knowledge that I long to be known by, someone who truly sees me. See, there are friends in your life, right, who are like this, echo that same kind of knowledge that Jesus has when you walk into a room with your friends or your acquaintances, and sometimes you walk into a room with your acquaintances, and they only know you by maybe your weaknesses or your failings or your regrets, or know you by certain things. You go, oh, I wish they really knew me. And then you walk into another room with maybe a smaller group of people, and it's no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what's happened, you walk into that room, they don't see those things, they just see you and celebrate, oh, it's so good to see you. Isn't it amazing that when Jesus sees Nathaniel, when Jesus sees a skeptic, when Jesus sees you, he just goes, oh man, I'm so glad to see you. I, I, can't, tell, I can't wait to tell you how I created you. I made you this inquisitive notice seat. It's amazing. Whenever you come to Jesus as an inquirer, he sees you as his creation. And he sees right into the beauty of who you are. Whenever as a Christian you come to prayer, he doesn't see you as the person who is struggling with this or that. He just sees the beauty of his creation. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. I love who you are. I was so excited when I made you. You're so unique. There's no one else like you. That's why I made you. And he calls it out in you. Sometimes I feel, oh my word, Jesus, you're calling stuff out in me that I don't even see yet. Because I'm so bogged down with the brokenness of life, the brokenness of my own actions, or maybe the brokenness of other people. I don't even see that. That's not me. But he says, you know what? I know that is you. And I'm, guess what? I'm going to work with you to see you become you. I'm going to heal you up. See, Jesus loves us where we're at, but he always loves us way too much to leave us where we're at because he sees the one he created. He sees our potential and he comes into our life. He's coming into Nathaniel's life to go, hey bro, I got so much great stuff for you. I see you. I know you. And I celebrate you. When you come into the presence of Jesus, you have a God who knows everything about you and can't stop celebrating who you are. He welcomes skeptics. He knows Nathaniel. But he also loves Nathaniel more than Nathaniel could ever comprehend. You see, Nathaniel says, Hang on, how do you know me? 
How? I mean, how do you know me? And then Jesus says this little cryptic thing, phrase. He says, because me, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you to come here. Nathaniel, hearing this, something dramatic happened because Nathaniel's only response to that was, oh my word, you are God. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. You see, Jesus was saying to him something that no one else knew, but only Nathaniel. See, Nathaniel, his secret place, his place where he didn't want anyone to know, the place where he clearly was doing something or thinking something or feeling something in secret, away from the public gaze. It's just, I just want to be by myself. I just want to be real right now. I just want to do this. I want to think this. Whatever it may be, whatever it was, it was so secretive that when Jesus says, I saw you, he knew, oh, you've got to be God because you saw me. You saw me, and you still celebrate me. You saw the stuff I want to hide from everyone, and yet you still welcomed me with love. You saw the stuff that I'm even ashamed of, and yet you still called me from afar and were happy to see me. You saw me at my worst, and you loved me at your most. What kind of love is this? You must be God. You see, we all, don't we, have that secret place. We all have our fig tree moments where we block out from the rest of the world what's really going on in our lives. You know, we can dress it all up. We can put that beautiful picture out on social media. We can put on the makeup. We can put on the power suit. We can get out there. But all of that is kind of hiding what's going on under the fig tree. When we're alone, when the door's closed, when the blinds are shut. When we go, this is what really is going on. The fears, the insecurities, the habits, whatever it may be. And we're secretive about it because we think if no one would love us if they knew, if they saw. Except there is one who sees everything and loves you more than you can imagine. That's what he was saying to Nathaniel. He was saying, Nathaniel, I see you in your worst. I see you in that secret place. I know you, and I love you just the way you are. Now, Nathan knows, and we all know, thank goodness he loves us not to leave us the way we are. But we don't have to dress up. We don't have to fake it for Jesus. But this is the love that Nathan encounters. A God who welcomes his questions and a God who knows him and loves him more than he could ever imagine. But it goes on. 
Because then Jesus responds to Nathan's declaration, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. But Jesus then says, yeah, 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 but, but mate, you haven't seen anything yet. There's a bigger story than just I know you and I celebrate you. I know you and I love you. You don't have to hide from me. I welcome you. There's a bigger story I want to bring you in. I've got a bigger purpose for you. In verse 50, Jesus says, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. But you're going to see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What on earth is he talking about? But of course, Nathaniel knew exactly what he was talking about. He'd already referenced, you're a true Israelite with no deceit, unlike that guy called Jacob. And here's Jesus again referring to something that Jacob did. He said, look, you're going to see some great things, kind of what Jacob was anticipating. See, back in Genesis, Jacob had a dream, a dream that one day a ladder would be built between humanity and God to restore the relationship. You see, we know the story, right? In Genesis 1 and 2, we were created for intimate union with God. That's why we're spiritual. That's why we long to connect with the divine because we're made that way. But there's been a separation. We have echoes. We can have feelings. But there's a fundamental blockage that one day will be overcome. And this dream that Jacob had in Genesis was a ladder would, be, would come that we would actually be reunited. But no one knew what that ladder was. The dream was simply, I saw a ladder and people ascending and descending from heaven to earth. Jesus quotes that and says, Nathaniel, guess what? This is, I love you more than you could ever realize. I know and value you more than you ever realize. And guess what? I am more than you ever thought. This is going to get crazy now. Get ready. Because you know that ladder ascending and descending from heaven to earth? Look what Jesus says. Heaven open. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Son of Man was Jesus' favorite phrase to describe himself. In other words, Nathan, I'm the ladder. I'm the ladder. I don't just know you. I don't just love you. I'm not just God who's come to value the beauty of who I created you. But guess what? Things are about to get crazy because I'm the ladder. I'm the one who's come to connect heaven to earth. I'm the one who's finally come to break down the barriers between humanity and God. The echo that we all love but want to grow in. But there's this blockage. I've come to dismantle that blockage. I am the one that has come. I'm, God has come. And what's interesting, from Jacob's time on, everyone's thinking, what's the ladder? What is the ladder? We need to put up a ladder. Is that the ladder of morality? That if we climb, if we're good enough, if we try and get good enough, then we'll get there. If we perform, and that's been every worldview, every world religion has been about some kind of performance, some kind of ladder, that if you do these things, you'll get there. The problem is, of course, 
Everyone defines the ladder differently. And everyone kind of knows that I'm just not good enough. And we see, actually, the brokenness of that morality ladder, it leads to two conclusions. It either leads to pride, because you think you're good and better than others, or it leads to depression, because you realize you're lost, and you're not good enough. The shocking thing here is that Jesus doesn't say, hey, I've come to tell you what the ladder is. I've come to give you an ethic, a code, a rule book that is the ladder. He says, Nathan, it's going to get real because I'm the ladder. I am the bridge. You don't have to do anything. I have come to become the bridge for once again reconciliation between God and humanity. It's not by your performance. It's not by your morality. It's by my performance. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die the death that we all deserve. I'm going to pay the price so that no longer will you be separated from God. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Nathan, get ready. Good news has come. Now, I wonder if Nathan would have thought, ha, but you're from Nazareth. And I think Jesus would have said, exactly. Exactly. Because now longer, it's not about how good you are, how prestigious you are, how good-looking you are, how successful you are, how much you have it all together what line you come from, what family you come from, what college you went to. The only way to receive me is to recognize, actually, you are a Nazareth. You need me. And that you don't actually prop yourself up with the structures and supports of achievement and success and performance and approval, which fail anyway. But you don't need them anymore because the only thing you need is Jesus that he is the bridge to reconcile you with God. That's exactly why I'm from Nazareth. Jesus welcomes skeptics. Jesus knows skeptics. And Jesus invites them into a life they could never have dreamt of. The story of God reconciling all things, healing all things, through the ladder the ladder is Jesus. Let's stand together. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.